You're listening to the Influential Conversations podcast with the property management coach and industry influence of the year, Kurt Stafford and guests. Well, hello again and welcome to yet another in the Influential Conversations podcast series. Today, my guest, I could really I could really only describe as a human dynamo. This lady is the director of the Property Collective in the ACT. She's also director of Gill and Hooper, which is an industry consultancy body, Build.Rent. She's the president of the REI ACT. She's a parent of two. She's the author of the Culture Playbook, which I would strongly recommend to anybody. It's a must for any agency in the, in the, in the country. She's got a, a list of awards Longer than my right arm, predominantly in their other than industry awards, Telstra Businesswoman of the Year for the ACT in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Hannah Gill. Hello, Hannah. The honour is mine. <laughs> well, thank you. Very kind. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Like I said, I mean, that's about the longest intro I think I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. No, 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 no. I think it's great. I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while. I'm so very pleased we finally got the opportunity to sit down together. Tell me your story. Firstly, let's start the way that I start off most of these. How did you get into property management? It's actually a pretty uninteresting story. I um, I not long turned 21 and I was working a few casual jobs and I, uh, I got fired. So I needed a job and I, at the time, looked in the newspaper and I found a logo for a business I like the look of and it told me that it was a property management role and I thought, not sure what that is, but I think I could give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) And as I say, the rest is history. Yeah. Well, look, it's it's interesting. And I was in in another webinar today and, and I actually said that most of the people that I've talked to in these two seasons of the Influential Conversation have said that they basically just fell into it. It was not a career choice coming out of school that they thought that they'd ever be part of. Mm. And and most of them started off as a receptionist or they started off as a property management assistant, which is where we really need to start. We, you know, you, the only way you climb a ladder is to start at the bottom and take it one step at a time. Started as a property manager at age 21. Yep. And you're still here. I am. I'm a lot older than 21. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Let's <laughs> still here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what happened once once you started? So how many years ago was that? Just about twelve or thirteen years ago, or something, wasn't it? Uh, Fifteen or so now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I should probably sorry. look at your know, at your LinkedIn bio and, and chat to you. Um, where where to um, from there? How how long well, did you remain as PM? Not very long, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think I did about eighteen months, two years as a property manager. Uh, during that time, you know. Back in the day, and I like to think the industry's evolved since then, but I was given the computer and the, the manual and the phone, and I was a property manager. So, yep. those, yeah, you, you're not in the story. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, those first two years was just really like this kind of shock of not really knowing what I was doing or how to do it and kind of figuring a lot of it out at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think during that time, I observed that uh, another role in the office looked really appealing to me, and that was business development. About the two-year mark, the BD in that business um, left and I put my hand up to take on that role. So I was BD then for four years with the same agent mm-hmm. and I yeah. loved that role. That was real, a real passion of mine and it was at a time when the business had a lot of project stock and, and it was a new kind of opportunity in the market and 
I built that team from me to 12 um, BDs and leasing consultants. And it was just Whoa. a game busters team at the, at the time. It was awesome. A really yeah. great experience. I learned that's, heaps. That, that's, uh, sorry, how long did you do if, you know, from, from a team of one to a team of 12? What, what did you say? Four years? Yeah, so when I when I moved out of the BD role, we had three full-time BDs. We had five mm-hmm. leasing consultants and a couple of admin support roles within the property management business. Gee, that's that's a hell of an amount of growth. But then when you think about it, you obviously would have grown the company by that amount over that time as well because you, you'd have to be able to support that many people. Yeah, we signed in that four-year period around 2,000 properties. Wow. So that was a really great um lesson because I think when you grow quickly you experience a lot of pain with with growth Mm -hmm. and so that taught me a lot in property management but that's that's the way we learn isn't it it's Hmm. it's through making our mistakes and through experiencing those those pain points that we actually end up growing both personally and professionally that's 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 where we get our growth from absolutely yeah yeah so that was that was a great challenge those four years um in the BD space I really enjoyed that Mm -hmm. yeah and then you ended up because I, as I said, I've cheated. I looked at your at your LinkedIn bio, and that, which is where I got all that info that I've just read out in your introduction. You ended up as the managing director of uh, of the company, mm, of property management of the company. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. you know, I think I think the lesson in that for me was that, and that wasn't immediate. Off the back of BD, I moved into a general manager role through a transitional mm-hmm. period where um, the current director was easing into retirement, um, yeah. and I took on that MD role. And I think. I think that was about five or so years. But I think what that experience really taught me, not just the, the MD and the GM role, but also the BD role, was I think, you know, at the time lots of people were coming and leaving and joining the industry or joining different agencies. And I, I really kind of recognised through that experience that if you stick with a business, there's opportunity as a result of it, which yeah. which really paid off for me. Mm-hmm. I know that may not always be the case, but that longevity and that um discipline and commitment really open those doors for me, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and it does. I think, look, I mean, it's, it's all well and good to move from one company to another to advance yourself. Um, if you're moving sideways, look, you, you'd have to question it. But loyalty, yeah. I think, really, and longevity are rewards in themselves and they do open the doors to you, I think, a lot more effectively mm. than than being just... Yeah, you know, and, and and part of the purpose of the the, the, the podcast that I've been doing is to is to show that yeah you, know, you you don't have to just remain a, a property manager, shall we say yeah. in inverted commas, for your entire career. There there are pathways that open up to you as you stay longer in the role or as you stay mm-hmm. longer in the industry that that you wouldn't have wouldn't have thought of. Absolutely, and I think sometimes a pathway doesn't always have to be up. You know, like to your point, it could be sideways. It could be a completely different role it could be easing into retirement and it could be a more of an assistant role and I think that's the awesome thing about the industry is you can move any which way and it can still be rewarding and challenging and you can still learn mm-hmm. and grow yep that's right and, and every role will teach you something yeah it really will. every role will really teach you something so we'll sort of expand on that a little bit what have, what have been some of your biggest learnings do you think oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. you go question without notice um, yep look I think gosh I've, I've learned so much like I really feel like this role has the industry I've grown up within the industry and so I've learned so much from so many amazing people and, and the experiences within the role day to day but I think yeah, I guess key lessons are surrounding yourself with good people yeah. um, you know that might not be in your business directly it could be mentors it could be broader industry like I feel incredibly appreciative of the community of people that I can turn to you know close by but also broadly and I think 
that's critical, especially in such a fast-paced, dynamic industry to be able to bounce ideas and collaborate. Like I just absolutely love the collaboration in the industry. And I think also, um, and I know it's a cliche, but not being afraid to say yes um, to challenges and opportunities. I've said yes to lots of things over the years that have been daunting and I probably felt that I wasn't ready for but I feel like if you don't say yes you don't know and you can kind of wing it and fake it till you make it right Um, and I've certainly at times had to fake it till I make it and I think that in itself teaches you a lot about yourself and resilience and Mm -hmm. oh true true that's that's really and and Richard Branson I remember saying that and somebody else said that to me I think in in the first season of this as well yeah, you, you say yes and do you develop the skills as you go. And that's that's almost a direct branson like quote. So you, you look yeah. at it and think, well, you don't and we touched on a minute ago, you don't grow without the challenges. You don't grow without the, the without going through those those areas of pain where you think, well, what's the lesson in this? Rather than just sit back and go, Oh, poor me, why did it happen? It's a matter of well, what can I take away from this? What can I what can I drag out of this, even though I'm really in, in a flat spot, what can I drag out of this? that's going to help me, one, recognise the opportunity that was presented to me and, two, help me further into the future. Absolutely. And it's all about perspective, isn't it? Like if, if you're in the middle of a difficult situation, it's like is this going to matter in a month or a week or yep. a year and mm-hmm. trying to maintain perspective. I think it's, yeah, perspective is so important, especially when we get really deep into something and sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture. Yep. Yep, very, very true, very true. We've sort of talked about challenges, we've talked about the, the pain points and what have you, and, and one thing that I think has become really apparent, particularly from about three and a half years ago when the pandemic first started, is that people got really challenged, really. I think challenge is probably the best word for it. A lot of people got really, really flat. It happens to all of us. It's a, it's a natural thing. Where do you go? When, when you find that you're challenged like that, when you find yourself in, in that spot where you just feel as though you're, you, you're floundering a little bit or you're, you're a little bit down on, say, motivation or, or, or incentive, what do you do for you that, that helps you get back on track? Yeah, it's a great question and I, I think I try to look at it holistically. You know, I think back to that support network, network that's really critical, um, being mm-hmm. able to just just talk out scenarios and ideas and get different perspectives I find really valuable for me. Mm-hmm. I think also, you know, things that help me when I'm really feeling under the pump is just sticking to the routine that I know is good for me, you know, mentally and physically. I exercise yeah. far less than I would like to. That's something I'm struggling to fit into my life with two little kids. But yeah. certainly the things in my control are, you know, my nighttime routine, getting lots of sleep, eating as healthy as possible, and, and those kind of things in my control, they're, they're the things that, underpin the balance so when stuff does get crazy reverting back to those routines and relying on the good practices that are already in place I think is really important and then obviously the support network Mm. as well of course yeah 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 and look it's the one thing I think that has been really common right through all the conversations I've had in the last six months with the podcast been going everyone's saying the same thing they're all Mm. saying it's the people I have around me. It's my support network. It's the people in the office. Whatever it is, they're where I go. They're the people that I draw my inspiration from more so than you know, reading books or listening to, to, to dare I say, podcasts uh, or anything else along those lines. It, because that is it. We're a we're a tribal animal, and this is this is what what I've said to a lot of people. I said, yeah, don't be so fixated. And I have conversations almost daily with property managers. They say, well. 
you know, I, I, you know, I want to work from home. I said, well, why? I said, we're a tribal animal. You know, we, we can't all be, you know, corralled off into little cages and expect mm-hmm. to perform at a high level when we're isolating ourselves from the rest of our, our tribe. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Thank you. I think some, I forget where I read it, but it was something that, that our optimum number of, within our, our wider tribe is about 150 people. And that doesn't mean people that we're you know, in, in touch with on, a, on an absolute daily basis or that we know intimately or very, very well. That's just our wider community because that's about the size, apparently, of the old villages. It was about yeah, 150 right. people. I thought, oh, yeah, probably is. And it never occurred to me. The number had actually never occurred to me either. But I just thought that particularly from a property manager's point of view, we'd probably be around about that if we start to you know, sit down and think about the number of people that we know and talk to on a regular to semi-regular basis. We don't have to be talking to them all the time. But it's the power of the community that, that really helps most of us. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know I said that when we were talking earlier, I wanted to touch on it. I did bring it up in the intro. You're really, really big on, on culture within your offices. Uh, and you wrote a handbook that I think is just absolutely invaluable to anyone who's running any sort of business. And it's particularly pertinent within real estate because we, and property management, because we do end up with a lot of challenges in our day uh, and a lot of challenges in dealing with people. The culture playbook. Yes. That, Tell me, tell us more about that. Firstly, what was the impetus behind it? What drove you to to, to put it together? Look, I mean, at a time when we talk about challenges, I was very much facing a challenge in the business I previously worked in. Um, the, that business owned multiple real estate brands and at the time they decided to bring them all into one office together. Mm-hmm. So fierce competitors suddenly becoming a combined team, but still under multiple brands. And um, to couple that with a lot of churn in the team, resources we couldn't get approval for, it was just a really tough time. You know, we talk Mm -hmm. about those challenging periods and that was certainly one of them. And, again, I I looked at everything I could control and what I couldn't control. And what I could control as a leader of that business was what I stood for as a leader and what I wanted to see our people stand for from a cultural perspective. And so because that is completely in my control and I didn't need a budget for it and I didn't need permission to do it, I just had to think about what, what was really important to me, what I wanted from my people, what I what I expected of myself leading that team and um, that's kind of where Culture Playbook was born from. And it set, I guess it set the tone for what it looks, sounds and feels like to be part of a high-performing team and it created definition and it created accountability where previously there was none. I think there's absolutely absolutely a place for values and mission statements and vision statements don't get me wrong but I think you know what words like you see on on the walls in offices you know integrity and care and all those kind of words what they mean to me and what they mean to the next person could be very different and so I just wanted to help really make it clear to the team what it looks sounded and felt like to be part of that team and to set them up to Mm -hmm. success yeah because I think you know you can you can put all the all the lovely words you want to on a wall but Firstly, it's subject to interpretation. Secondly, it's you know, subject to the people around you being on the same street as you are. Absolutely. And, and living to those values. Yeah, confronting because when I um, you have to expect that not everyone will. And yeah. I know sometimes as leaders we, we feel like we, we want to keep everyone because the fear of having someone leave, it's like what's going to happen? You know, what's the workload? What's the team going to think? How will I be viewed? You know, all those kind of thoughts come. But when I first rolled it out, I actually had a high-performing team member opt out 
of the business because she felt she didn't align. And at the time, I was like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? But in hindsight, it was actually the best thing because she could we could celebrate her wanting to move on and we could help her find a new job. But as a team, we could then be stronger because we were aligned. And so I think mm-hmm. we need to, I think as an industry, we're not very good when people want to leave. We <laughs> really hurt you yeah, know, and, we do. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of ego in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and I it's, think yeah. we need to be better. Like people are going to leave business. That's that's mm-hmm. that's life, right? And so yeah. it's creating an environment where it's safe to celebrate successes. It's safe to give constructive feedback. And if someone doesn't want to be part of that journey anymore, it's safe to empower them to go and do what makes them happy and get on with that's it. Right. Yeah. And ease their way out of the business, not not basically the minute they resign, grab their key and their phone from them and frog march them out the door with a, with, a, with, a, with a box of files. Of course. But, and, look, yeah. don't get me wrong, there are instances when you do need to walk people out of the building, and that sucks. Mm. That really yep. does. But, you know, I think rather than taking it personally, it's looking at it subjectively and going what's the best thing for the business and the team. Mm-hmm. That's right. But it's, it, in the majority of cases, if someone's got the... The, the, the wherewithal to come to you or the, or the integrity to come to you and first say, look, Hannah, this isn't for me, uh, and it's not a personal thing. It's not as though, oh, look, you know, I've got another role with XYZ down the road and, and you know, start you know, name-calling. Well, they're the sort of people you didn't want in the office anyway, but if they come to you and say, look, I'm just not happy, I want to find somewhere else to work. And I, and I, I really encourage this in teams that I've run before that, say, look, if you're not happy with something, tell me. And if it's within our power to fix it, we will. And if it's if that still doesn't work for you, well, then let us help you to find what really lights your fire, maybe somewhere else mm, or absolutely. maybe within the company and within another role. Yeah. And it's that whole quote, you know, what if we train them and they leave or what if we don't and they stay? Culture's yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. I think, yep. you know, we need to not be afraid of people leaving. That's part of life. But it's mm-hmm. how we make sure it's as effective and efficient and as culturally appropriate as possible given the circumstances. Yep, that's right. And I actually, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this now because it was only a couple of days ago I saw um, a, a quote from Tom Panos, uh, and I, I think I've got to get it, I think I've got it right, is that, and that is that I can't understand why you would be upset when someone comes to you and leaves when you probably did that to your boss. <laughs> and you think, when you think about it, that's it, it, that's absolutely appropriate because none of us have stayed with what well, very few have stayed with the one company for our entire careers. Yeah, the majority of us have moved on from one company to another. Yeah, and that shows growth and that shows evolution and that's an important part of the journey. Yeah, that's exactly right. But the culture playbook really would give your entire company. The, the, the one aim and, and the one way to act hmm. and, and the one way to treat, particularly treat each other. And yeah, that's, the, that's one of the big things that I took out of it was, you know, was, was that you know, this, this is about how not only do we treat our clients but how we treat ourselves and mm-hmm. how we deal with the person who's sitting next to me, the person who's started with us two weeks ago and the person that, that I report to who's been here for years. Yeah. And, and one level deeper, how we treat ourselves. You know, a part of our mm-hmm. culture playbook talks about mindfulness and, and yep. you know, letting go of each day and keeping perspective in stress, stressful situations. And so, you know, if we're looking, if we're doing the best thing by ourselves and then we're doing the best thing by our team, the business mm-hmm. wins and our clients get the benefit. Yep. So actually it's a win-win for everyone. No one wants mm-hmm. to work in a team where the culture is terrible. You know, we've all probably no. been there at some stage and it's terrible having that yeah. feeling every day. Yeah. And that's that's probably the biggest reason I think that most people leave a company 
is yeah. is because it's it, it's culture or they don't align to it whether the culture is toxic or otherwise they just they just find it difficult to align with that that particular culture yeah and that's totally so, okay yeah. yeah that's right i had a phone call today and i probably had actually probably had three phone calls with this particular person today they're talking about feeling unsupported in their role i said well you know that's something you've got to address with your management Mm. to try to get them on board to help help you because that's the big problem that we've faced in our industry yeah. over a very long period of time and particularly evident over the last three to four years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think the last last few years, COVID aside, just the impact on people's, you know, mindset and expectations, mm-hmm. like things have changed. It's just the reality, right? Like whether it is the expectation of different working environments or flexibility, it's like how as leaders can we help that culture evolve but still get the best outcome for the team and the business because it does mm-hmm. change it's inevitable That's right. yep yep no there's no there's no progress without change yeah and it's interesting because again in this podcast this morning or the webinar this morning we were talking about that the challenges of change and and one thing that i've always been a believer in is it's it, it, we were talking about before with mindset mm. you, it, if you can reframe that change you will actually embrace it more and I generally use the word improvement rather than use the word change. And from a consultancy point of view, I don't know how you found it with your consultancy. When I go in, one of the things that I say to a lot of people is, particularly in the staff when I'm in there, is I'm not here to make changes, I'm here to make improvements. Yeah. And automatically they change. Their internal dialogue changes for them because they go, oh, okay. Because if you say the word change to someone, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to change things, change things around. All of a sudden, you know, there's defensiveness Mm. because we're wired to see change as negative. But if we go in and say we're here to make improvements, they go, oh, tell me more. (laughs) We like improvements. It's really interesting. Just that one word is a really interesting change in reaction from people. So true. But I think also if you look back over the last few years, the rate of change has really resulted in change fatigue for so many people. Even people who love change, you know, it's just constant change is exhausting and, and especially when sometimes that change is out of your control, you know, when we've got government changes or we've got legislative changes or things that are happening that are completely out of our control, that's when change is really hard, especially if it's if it's hard to understand the why. But as a mm-hmm. business, you know, we can absolutely implement changes and communicate in a really thorough constructive way about why we're making change like we don't want to make change for the sake of change we want to make change to your comment to make it better that's right exactly yeah and the, i think if you and, and the thing is when, when you're making i'll go again you know, making improvements in a business so long as um, the leadership of that business can um can explain it well mm. to their teams it will be accepted a lot more readily and a lot more differently then just coming in and going, oh no, we're going to do, we're going to operate under this system now. Whatever it is, it might be a new software, it might be just a new process. But mm-hmm. if you if you can explain it and explain the why, I just find that it makes it a heck of a lot easier for people to to adapt to it and to, mm-hmm. to accept it. Yeah, totally agree. So what's next for you? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at all your awards and, and and all you've got at the moment. Where's Hannah Gill going from here? Well, I'm nearly three years into our journey at the Property Collective, so um, we celebrate our third birthday at the start of December. So very much my world is Property Collective is everything, what I'm trying to achieve, what we're trying to build here. You know, our team's growing. As I mentioned to you before, we just fitted out and moved into an office space, a new office space. So, you know, the Property Collective 
um, was was based on an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yep. And at the time, my business partner and I really felt like there's there was a real gap in the market for a different way of doing real estate where people, like our clients and our team, genuinely benefited from being part of mm. a collective. Yeah. Um, and so we're we're still very very much early in that journey. We've got lots of lots of ideas. We love innovating. We love testing testing our ideas out. They don't always work, but that's part of the fun, right? You learn and you grow yeah. and you refine. That's um, right. And if you, and if it's not working. Move it out and find something else that does. Absolutely. And yeah. we've got such an amazing team of people who are generally aligned to that journey and to that vision, and I think that's mm-hmm. just a really exciting space to be working in. Yep. So that's kind of what's next for the time being. Fantastic. So how does the collective work? What's what's the, the, the crux of it? We've got property management sales projects. That's our core business. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also decided when we first launched the business to have a marketing, in-house marketing team. And the reason we wanted to do that was because we're really big believers in telling the story of what the collective offering is to the client. And I don't want to call it a one-stop shop because it's not, but really what it is is partnering with experts in the right areas to elevate the experience the client has or the experience our team member has. So from a team member perspective, that's a huge focus on training, holistic training and and industry-specific training. That's coaching, that's um, retreats, like it's a huge focus on culture. Mm-hmm. And then from a client perspective, it's a huge focus on ensuring that if they're working with us, we are their source of truth to enable every transaction or part of the transaction to be seamless for them with the right expert at the right time. And yep. so it's connecting all the dots for our clients to help them succeed and to create wealth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep, which is really what our job as, as property managers is. It's not and, and, I, and I've, I, I say this continually to people, that, you know, we don't manage the property. The property is static. Yeah. It doesn't need management. What needs management are the relationships that feed from that property because Absolutely. you've got a landlord and you've got a tenant and they don't exist without each other. We've got to really nurture both those relationships and, and make it a worthwhile experience and a, a creating experience for both of them in some way. Absolutely. And I think... The, the challenge is, as an industry, we are a slow-to-adapt industry typically, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the way our clients live their lives, they can do everything in the palm of their hand on their phone. Yep, They can do their right. groceries. They can jump in an Uber. They can shop. They can do everything they want to do on their phone. But then mm-hmm. as an industry, we're like, send us an email and we'll reply maybe within three days, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's really yeah. like Mm-hmm. Look, yeah, and, and that's not a criticism. I think there's so many reasons why we are where we are as an industry. I think COVID actually, the benefit of COVID was it actually helped us innovate far quicker than otherwise would have happened. But beyond that, I just think we just need to be better at creating tangible, meaningful relationships with people mm-hmm. and not yep. focusing so much on how many properties we manage because it's redundant. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, it's yeah. I think that that's that's a very very old measure. The measures these days that I bring in and that I think most consultants do is is has nothing to do with numbers under management or mm-hmm. numbers per property manager because you know, that's a variable from you know, from one office to another, even in the same city, yeah. let alone the same state. Absolutely. But it's just yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things that we really need now to be uh, focusing more on the individual and focusing Agreed. more on the way that. That individual relates both externally if they're a staff member or internally if they're a client. So mm-hmm. we've got that that really lovely relationship rather than transaction, mm-hmm. which is the old method of doing business. I mean, you always used to be about, well, you know, 
how many we've got under management. Well, it's not now about that. It's about the relationship. So it's to, you almost paraphrase Bill Clinton, say it's the relationship, stupid. But um, <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't remember who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. It's just that I am that old. Um, but it's just, you know, we, we, we are relationship managers. Mm. If we can get away and find another term, and I've had this conversation with people, oh, who knows many, how many times, we can get away from calling ourselves property managers yeah. and talk about us being in charge of the relationships, we're going to find that we will do better and we will probably have people relate to us better. Agreed. But I think that's such a huge <laughs> our, our property managers we call relationship managers, mm-hmm. but it's just such a huge shift because especially, you know, career-long property managers, they've known it to be the property. Mm-hmm. How many arrears do I need to do? How many rent reviews do I need to conduct? It's so task-driven mm-hmm. that you almost just need to throw out the rule book and just completely start again and go, how many yep. times do I need to call a client every year? Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. <clears throat> it's not, yeah. And how many times do I have to call the client every year that's not to do with spending their money? Correct. And that's how the can I add thing. value? When yeah. and how can I add value? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was lucky. I got taught that lesson, oh, gee, really early on as a, as a property manager I was in my second year. When I had a, a, a client of mine, and I managed three properties for this guy. He picked up the phone and he saw it was, when well, he heard it was me on the phone, he said, yes, Kirk, how much is it going to cost me this time? Brutal. Brutal, but what an awakening. Mm. And then I started to look at what I was doing when I got the opportunity. I was mm. starting to look at it differently each time as well so that mm. I would start to, to add that value into the equation. I was starting mm. to add into the relationship rather than just say, well, give me your money because every conversation we, we would have as PMs, there's that phrase again, um, is a money conversation. We're costing them money, whether it's a vacancy, whether it's repair, whether the tenants in arrears, whatever it is, it's costing them money. Yeah, yeah. agree. adding to them. Yeah, but every, every interaction is an opportunity to add value, isn't it? Whether, yeah. whether they're, they're asking a question or whether we are giving an update, it's like what are they interested in? Do we know if mm-hmm. they want to buy another property? Do we know what their interest rate is? Can they be refinancing? Like every That's opportunity right. to talk to someone, we can add value. Yeah. We can create opportunities to delight a client that they yep. don't expect. Yep, exactly. And and it's not, it's it's even outside of that, you know, is there anything around your home that, that needs doing that you don't have capacity to do? Can we get one of our our contractors, our trades to come out and help it and, and at least give you a quote to what it's going to cost you? All that yeah. sort of stuff where we've got, because we've got this immense network that is not just related to the properties that we have under management. It's related to each of our clients' properties, so long as they're you know, not living in far north Queensland or something like that. Although <laughs> the trade are probably like a holiday, um, but it's yeah, but it's it's that you know wh- who do we know that can help? Mm, yeah, and we need to start to look at that as as our role, mm. as a facilitator, and as as a relationship builder and a, a relationship nurturer. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And it just, I know, I know it gets thrown around so much as a buzzword, but that whole trusted advisor piece is critical. Mm-hmm. Where property managers, we have the longest ongoing relationship with a tenant and an investor than anyone else in that property ecosystem. If yep. they should trust anyone more than anywhere else, it's us. Mm-hmm. That's right. So how, yep. how are we repositioning that? So they come to us saying, who should I sell through? Who should I refinance mm-hmm. through? What trades should I get? Rather yep. than finding out, that we've lost the management because they sold to the agent down the road. Yep, exactly. And that's the time that we generally find out, well, you know, we didn't do enough. Yeah. This other, or it may be that, you know, the other agent just happened to have the right solution for them that we probably had as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's the thing, right? That again to the property collective, having that marketing part of our business is to tell that story. Because I think, mm-hmm. again, as an industry, particularly property management, sales less so, we do so much that the client is never aware of because we don't tell them. That's so right. we need yeah. to get better at telling the story and educating to show the value that we do add. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Very true. Very, very true indeed. Well, Hannah, that's probably a good note for us to wind this up. I'm, I'm really, really deeply appreciative of you coming onto the show. If somebody wanted to get a copy of your culture playbook, are you happy for them to contact you in some way? Always happy to share, Kurt. It can What's reach the best out. Way for, yep. What's the best way for someone to contact you? Um, just send me a message on Instagram or send me an email, hannah at thepropertycollective.com.au, and I'm always happy to share. Fantastic. All right, Hannah. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another in the series of Influential Conversations. This time my guest has been Hannah Gill, CEO for The Property Collective in Canberra. Thanks, Thanks, Hannah. For having me. You've been listening to another podcast in the Influential Conversations series. This series is proudly brought to you by Tappy, helping property managers deliver a world-class maintenance experience to their landlords and tenants and providing a total property care solution. Inspection Express, the market leader in property inspection reporting and digital signature property documentation, giving you a seamless approach to the way that you manage properties. And Agent Dynamics, the Australian market-leading team development ecosystem to help you nurture, grow and retain your property teams since 2014. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time for the next in this series.